Hey everybody, it's May of 2022, depending on when you're listening to this. This is when it comes out. And it is National Foster Care Month because that's what May is. National Foster Care Month is an initiative of the Children's Bureau. And every May, they take time to acknowledge foster parents, family members, volunteers, mentors, policymakers, child welfare professionals, and other members of the community who help children and youth in foster care find permanent homes and connections. Now, that's what the Children's Bureau has to say on their website. And I think really what we can do is to just go out and help raise some awareness. That's part of our mission here at Foster Care Nation is we're raising the awareness of the need for people to help kids. There's almost a half a million children in the youth and foster care systems. And we want to celebrate those who make a meaningful difference in their lives. So to all the foster care parents out there, if you're a foster parent, yeah, yeah, we think you're awesome. Now, if you're not a foster parent, that's okay. You can support your some of your uh, your friends and family that you've met who do it, or you can just talk about it. Bring awareness around this. Share some of these episodes with people because the initiatives that we work with and some of the, the people who just have a story to tell, to let us know what this is really like, why some of the people we, we know have the struggles that they have. This is our job in life. It's just to help others, especially when it comes to children. We are passionate about helping kids understand how to work through these hard things. So share this with somebody. Uh, send them an episode. This month, we're going to have a couple amazing guests on here. We're going to start the month out with Rita Sornan. Rita is the uh, CEO and president of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. We had a great conversation recently, and we're going to play that for you. Uh, we got a couple other great things coming up this month, so keep your eyes open. And again... Share this with somebody. That'll be one of the biggest things that you can do to help raise awareness of the need that is just absolutely overwhelming the kids in our nation right now. Hey, Papa, guess what? What? I need new clothes. Baby needs new clothes. Where do you think we could go find some cool designs to, from to wear? Oh, I think I have an idea. I mean, we've got some awesome designs for people to wear. Oh, I didn't think about that. You go over to our website. What is that one again? It's um, tpublic.com slash foster care nation. Yeah, I think we got t-shirts and tank tops and hoodies and sweatshirts and baby any- onesies. They don't have any dad size onesies there, do they? Mm, I don't think so. But the baby onesies are super adorable. Yeah, they are. And we got some kids hoodies and, and short sleeve t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts. Maybe we should go over there and check it out. Where is that again? It's over at Tee Public, right? Yeah. Foster Care Nation? Yeah. T-E-E-Public.com slash Foster Care Nation. You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Training. Strength for the powerless, courage for the fearful, hope and healing for wounded hearts.
Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. And today we have Rita Sorenen with us. Rita is the president and CEO of the Dave Found Dave. Yeah, English is leaving me already, guys. That's not a good sign. The president and CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. You can find their organization at DaveThomasFoundation.org. Rita, how are you doing today? I am great, Jason and Amanda. Great to be with you. Thank you for having us. Hey, we're excited to have you here. I know that of all the people that that I talk about and think about and read, and Dave Thomas Foundation is probably one of the longest standing organizations that I know of who has been really, really paying attention to this foster care and adoption space and just putting a lot of energy and effort and money into changing the world. So I, I was super happy to see you guys, you know, on our schedule and go, man, I'm excited to see what they have to talk about. So I know you said that you guys do a survey every few years and you have some trending data about foster care and a foster care adoption. So let's just jump in right there because I, I want to hear what's been changing because I hope it's for the better. You bet. And thank you for asking about it. And, you know, by just a bit of background, the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption is a national nonprofit public charity. And so we work both to increase awareness about foster care and foster care adoption specifically, um, but want to always have that driven back to um, what's real, what's going on, what are the the perceptions and the misperceptions that prevail in this so that we can um, focus our, our messaging and our programs based on what we know perhaps needs to be changed. And so since 2001, we've been doing um, a national survey about um, attitudes toward foster care and foster care adoption. And this year, um, we just released, it was completed in November, so we just released um, at the beginning of the year, uh, and have that length of time of trending data. And what we are finding is generally very positive, just some top-line things. Um, 37% of Americans based on this, and again, it's a snapshot of 1,400 Americans on an online survey, but 37% of adults have considered adoption, right? And that's up 12%. That's a significant percentage of increase. So that notion of whether it's because people are no more feel more free to talk about adoption now, um, when it used to be, you know, not too long ago, a kind of quiet, secret conversation, whatever it is, 37% of Americans are now considering foster care adoption. And what for us, what's important of that, when you look at the subsets, and then we ask those people, well, what kind of adoption are you thinking about? International, domestic infant, or foster care? 82% of those Americans who are thinking about adoption are considering foster care adoption. And that's an increase of 3%. For us, that's vitally important because what it says is that um, we're not just defaulting as a country to, okay, adoption, that must mean domestic infant adoption, which is great. Of course, we celebrate all kinds of adoption and however families come together, but because our mission is singularly focused on foster care adoption, that's the kind of trend that we want to see. Yeah, that's one of the conversations that a lot of people have is, is that idea about what is... Um you know, what, what we should be doing, right? I've heard lots of people ask that question. Well, well, why, why are you even looking at, at adopting kids from China? Don't we have enough people here in the U S who need, you know, kids who need adoption? Why don't you just focus on that? And uh, I don't know. I, I feel like we're led where we're led. Yeah. And if, if you're led towards helping kids, that's a good thing. And if that Absolutely. means international or domestic, whatever it means, as long as you're doing something to feed that passion of helping kids, that's, that's super important. But I know that you guys really focus on, on U.S. adoptions because 
I don't remember the numbers, but there are a lot of kids in the system right now who not only need a foster home, but kids who are available for adoption right now today. Exactly. Right now in this country, there are 117,000 children who are in foster care. They have gone through that system. Uh, the, the courts have permanently severed um, relationship with their biological family, and so they're waiting to be adopted. And for us, our focus is on those children who are most at risk of aging out of care without a family. In other words, turning 18 or 21, they've been freed for adoption, but they leave the system without that promise that we make to them that day that their rights are permanently severed from their bio family is that we will find them an adoptive family. 20,000 children about year over year are in that status. And they're in that status because they're older, because they're teens, because they're in sibling groups, because they have special needs. Um, because they have been in care for so long that when courts or their social worker asks, do you want to be adopted, they naturally and understandably are resistant to this notion of adoption for, for all of the right reasons. They're, they don't want to give up on their bio family yet. They, they're still suffering from layers of trauma, of grief and loss. They don't want to feel unloyal or disloyal to their family. All those right reasons. But given where they are in their brain development, they're also moving through that natural sense of um, a quest for independence, right? A quest to be on their own. They absolutely want to get out of the system, um, but they may not be thinking about the long-term impact of what does it mean to try and grow up without a family at 20, at 30, at 40. That need for family is lifelong, doesn't end at 18 or 21. And so that's where we um, um, put that focus through programming and messaging and why, why surveys like this are so critically important. What are the myths and misperceptions about these children in particular, this focused population of children? Why is it that there are barriers to these children getting adopted? You know, I mentioned uh, this dad's group. I'm a part of a lot on this podcast because it provides a lot of value in my life. But we were just talking about this this morning. I, I facilitate a couple Monday morning calls. And those 18-year-old kids, when you start to understand a little bit about brain development, yeah, they are miles away from, from being fully developed. Right, right, right. And, and we know that there are, again, not because they're bad kids, because that's one of those misperceptions. Oh, they're too old, too dangerous. They couldn't possibly fit into a family, right? Um, but, but what we know is that um, the negative consequences, the potential negative consequences of leaving a system that perhaps they've grown up in since age 10 or 12 or, or sometimes longer than that, of leaving that system without the support group around them of a family or extended family, then they're at much higher risk for negative consequences, homelessness, unemployment, undereducated, early parenting, you know, substance abuse, all of those things, not because that's the life direction that they want to move into, but because they don't have, they can't make a mistake, right? They, 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 they work very hard to find a place to live in a job. The car breaks down, they can't get to the job. They're fired. Suddenly they're homeless. They're on the streets. So uh, when, when an, an another 18 year old could say, Hey mom, you know, I, I, I need, I need some help for the next six months or so. So that's why um, I think it's critically important to understand who are these children in foster care, particularly that 50% or more who are age eight or older in foster care waiting to be adopted, and why they are just as um, deserving of, viable, and, and can be you know, an amazing part of a family with perhaps some special services surrounding them because of the trauma they've experienced in care. 
Yeah, you mentioned that that help that you get out of a bio family. You know, we've had that phone call. Our twenty-one-year-old son. There's been a couple moments where he's like, "Dude, this piece of crap car is dying on me. I don't know how I'm going to get to work." Yep. And 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 Cena's like, "I've been putting up with him for the last twenty-one years, or he's been putting up with me, depending on which one you ask <laughs> who puts up with who." But there's been a couple moments where it's like, "Hey, dude, you know what? I got a couple dollars set aside for these things." Um, you know, pay me back when you can, and we'll take care of it. But if you have a kid who's who doesn't have that that backdrop of safety, right. who doesn't have that bio family backdrop. By the way, guys, if you're listening, you hear a little bit of squealing. Baby girls decide she wants to talk through the squealing method today, so y'all gonna have to listen to her a little bit. But you know, you have to deal with it because I do. And uh, but you know, dealing with with kids who don't have that backdrop of safety to be able to step back in and have somebody help them. You know, you mentioned some, a lot of the dangers that can push kids right into, and that yeah. homelessness is a big piece. I mean, the numbers on that are scary. Huge. I think what the last that, that we looked, one in five, one in five of children who age out of foster care, that first year out of foster care will be homeless. And those are the ones we know about. So many more are couch surfing. They don't become part of systems where those numbers get translated into, into statistics. So um, absolutely. And, and, and look, homelessness for anybody is, is horrendous. We need to, as a country, to, to be doing so much more. But this is that sort of silent group of kids where we say, hey, you're 18, you're, you're 21, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you'll be fine, it'll make you stronger. Well, why do we put that sheen around these children that we wouldn't put around a biological child in that same, in that same circumstance? So, um, and, and, you know, there's always this um, one thing that we find out, there's this belief system about teens to begin with, right? Go to any party, doesn't matter who you're talking to or what you're talking about. As soon as you mention teens in your family, people's eyes start rolling and we've all got horror stories about teens in our family. That's because they're doing what they're supposed to do, right? They're being, they're being offensive, they're testing, they're, 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 they're asserting their independence. But add to that, that layer of foster care, here's what we know and it still keeps me awake at night. Based on this survey, and this number went up a little bit this year rather than down, 51% of Americans believe children are in care because they're juvenile delinquents. In other words, they've done something wrong, so they've been put into this system to fix that, as opposed to the reality that children are in foster care through no fault of their own, no matter what age they are. They're there because they've been abused or neglected. They're there in order to um, hopefully go back to their family of origin. That's what we want is reunification of these children. But for those who've been freed, then our job is to find them a family. But we still, as a country, a majority of us ascribe fault to the child rather than to the system that surrounds them. I'd love to know how to kind of change that idea. You know, unfortunately, there's not enough people who listen to what I have to say to, to hear me say that you're wrong on that. Yeah, obviously, when when you have any connection with a foster system at all, you deal with these kids on a regular basis and you know that these kids are going through something big and it's not their fault. You know, right. sometimes the parents, bio parents are going through something that's not really yes. their fault either. And yes. the kids are what's known as collateral damage in that. And it's so difficult to get people to change their mindset around that because sometimes it, it comes out as diagnoses that, that yeah. the kid has some issues because of what they went through as a young kid. And it's super difficult for us to peel those layers of that onion back. So what do you guys do there at the Dave Thomas Foundation to, to work around that perception because you, you mentioned the misperceptions, and there's a ton of them around foster care and adoption. So exactly. how are you guys working with that to help change people's opinions? That's why we, we do this survey, among other 
others so that we can find out, okay, where are we as a nation in our thoughts and our belief systems? And what can we do to either address, um, you know, a a lot of Americans think it, it must be awfully difficult to adopt out of foster care, or these kids have behavioral issues. Indeed, many of them do. Indeed, it can be difficult. So how do we provide supports for that? But if, if it's just this misperception that they're too old, you know, they couldn't possibly fit into a family, that's where we not only do a lot of positive messaging about here's who these children are, here's what they have experienced, here are the reasons that they may be acting out, that they may have health care or mental health care needs that as a nation, we need to make sure that we have more resources to address. But also, um, here's we show lots and lots in, on our website, davethomasfoundation.org, for those families that we have worked, we've got an evidence-based program that's in every state of the United States um, that works to address this focused population of children and getting them more effectively and more efficiently into homes. And then for those that that turn around with permanence, then and they give us permission, we do lots of storytelling with those families, lots of videos to say, look, it's not unusual for a family to adopt uh, a sibling group of teens. It's not unusual for a family to adopt a child with special needs particularly if those kinds of supports are around them to help them move them towards successful adulthood. So it's about storytelling. It's about understanding the myths and misperceptions, addressing them head on, sometimes countering them and sometimes saying, you're right, at a policy or practice level, we need to change what what is to the benefit of these children and families. Yeah, I wish we could get people to to realize that. But, you know, one of the things I think that we have to always pay attention to is these may not be really unusual stories. But they're scary. And I think people are just scared and they don't know. They don't have the knowledge. They haven't seen this. Adoption is expensive. Do you know how many times I've heard that one? Adoption is so expensive. And quite honestly, if you look at international adoption, oh, man, baby girl's mad. Um, If you look at the cost of of adoption, international adoption, it can be very hefty. Um, I don't know state by state how it's handled. I know here we live in the state of Missouri and if you adopt a kid through the foster system as as that foster parent, uh, the state covers the cost of that. Exactly. that, And that's that's consistent across the nation. Of course, there are costs to raising a child, right? We always counter that. <laughs> yeah. with, yes, there are costs to raising a child. But there, so many states have uh, education waivers for secondary education. You're right. Subsidies for children who are adopted from foster care under this special needs category. But that special needs is a broad range from age to, to um, um, uh, race to uh, sibling status. So it covers more than just physical or emotional special needs. So uh, there are adoption tax credits. Uh, Lots of one of the programs that we support is an adoption-friendly workplace. Lots of workplaces provide financial assistance to families who adopt, no matter what kind of the adoption, but including foster care adoption. So that's one of those myths we want to dispel. Another one is folks are afraid that if I adopt, the bio family will come back to legally claim this child. In the foster care system, once a child is legally freed for adoption, that can happen. The, 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 the bio parents cannot go to court to reclaim this child. Having said that, there's a counter to that, particularly with older youth. They certainly may need and, and should have connections to extended family members if they're safe for that child. And so as someone's thinking about adopting from foster care and potentially adopting a, an older youth, and by again, older, we need eight or older, 
these kids remember, have connections to, have extended family members in the community. I think it's important for potential adoptive parents to, to make sure that they're willing to maintain those connections, again, if it's safe for the child. Yeah, we have a great example of that in our own, in our own experience. Um, our, our two middle kids, we'll just call them that because it gets confusing with all the kids, but the two middle kids, um, they were adopted, they were a sibling group adopted through foster care. And um, while their parents had had their struggles, you know, well, dad, dad's not with us anymore and, and mom had her struggles and it wasn't a safe place to keep a relationship. However, the grandma, yeah. you know, grandma Virginia was a good woman. You know, she unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but, you know, they had the connection with her to, to the end of her life because grandma Virginia was a good woman. Yeah. I got nothing bad to say about this woman. Now her, her, her kid had some struggles and, and that caused a lot of other problems for these kids and they have to deal with that. But that doesn't mean that every extended family member is necessarily in that same struggle. So we, we have extended our, our, our range of people that we connect with because where it's safe, it's healthy. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think that extends to when we're looking at placements for these children. Um, you know, it used to be the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Don't go anywhere near family members. That's changed significantly with searches for extended family members first. You know, let's, we're all homing pigeons at heart. That's who we identify with, no matter how we've grown up. And so we should be looking at how to keep this child connected to family to community, to a sense of origin. Um, and so that should be that first default is where can we place this child either as a foster care placement or as potentially a kinship adoption if, if necessary, or at least a guardianship. Having said that, there are lots of times when that doesn't happen. And so it's incumbent, I think, on the, the adoptive parents, if they're not related to that child, to keep that connection strong when, when feasible. Yeah. And that that's one part of our story as well. We have another little guy who's, um, uh, his, let's see, my wife, we get into relationship math real fast. My <laughs> wife has a, had a, had a half sister through her mother and then she had a half sister through her father. So they're kind of sister ish. They grew up around each other. How about that? And, and um, she had a lot of issues in, in her life. She had some addiction issues that, that caused her son to come into the system. And, and at the end of it all that, you know, he was her, her rights were terminated. And so that was one of the places that we felt really pulled like, Hey, this is part of our family, you know, so it's not an official kinship sort of situation because he's not legal kin, but it's close enough. And, and that's part of part of our journey as well as trying to figure that out, because there's a lot of places there where there's still not not a whole lot of safety. It's not a, a real great place for us to dive out, but we have to keep our eyes open to see if that changes. And that's so hard for family to remember that sometimes because it's easy. You know, if you talk to any foster parent, they'll tell you how easy it is to vilify the bio parents. Absolutely. 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 And, and we need to remember that this is how this and where this child identifies, no matter what. And so we've got to be really careful as, as foster and adoptive parents not to do that, not to vilify the families, to help them understand the challenges that that family had um, or continues to have and, and why this circumstance has even evolved. You know, a conversation with, with that particular boy the other day, uh, we, we sat down and I said, you know, bud, we haven't talked about it in a while. How much, you know, how much do you really think about, about your dad? You know, what, what, what's your thoughts about that? Because he never knew him because his dad actually passed away when he was one. So he doesn't have any real recollection there, but he has an idea of who that is in his life. That's part of his identity. And we talk about that sometimes. And it's, you know, I don't know a whole lot about his, his biological father's um, family 
Um, I, we don't have any real good connections there, but you know, it allows just that conversation to happen about where you come from and what that really means. And I don't think as, as Americans, we're not always, we're not always trained by culture to realize how important that is. Exactly. Exactly. Or, or we're quick to judge or we're quick to do black and white, good and bad, as opposed to, you know, life exists in those shades of gray. It exists in the nuances, particularly when it comes to family. Um, so it's important to keep that top of mind as we're thinking about foster care, foster care adoption, the system, the parents who are part of this as bio parents, the parents who are part of this as foster parents. We still think people go into foster care in order to make a, you know, a buck when, again, nothing could be further from the <laughs> truth, right? Um, uh, and so we've just got to just rethink, I think, how we approach this, this really still kind of quiet system that impacts hundreds of thousands of people a year in this country. Well, yeah, because one of the things that people always need to be reminded of is you are impacted. Whoever you are listening, you are impacted by this, whether or not you're a foster parent or you're involved with the foster system at all, or if you just say, forget it, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. You will be affected by some of these kids because the kids that end up, the number of kids who end up homeless and in the prison system are huge. So we're either going to help these kids when they're little, or we're going to help them through the judicial system. And I don't know about you, uh, Rita, but my my check still says there's a lot of taxes coming out, taking care of a lot of people who are in the prison system, and a lot of them because they didn't have that that family of origin to help them out when they were young, and it led to a lot of bad things. Exactly, and it, it speaks to that notion of return on investment. Look, I don't want to financially quantify these children. Um, their value is inestimable, any child's is. But when you think about the cost to society to allow a child to age out from homelessness to, to court intervention to, to um, substance abuse versus, um, you know, having a child grow up in a healthy family become robust and, and excited members of a community. There's a significant return on investment. First, the human investment, but second, the financial investment. Absolutely. Yeah, because there's a lot of people who don't realize the number of names that came out of the foster care system. You know, I've mentioned this before. I believe Marilyn Monroe was in foster care. Willie Nelson was one of those people who's who everybody knows who he is. And we sit back and we forget like these these aren't just just throwaway kids. Right. Our founder, Dave Thomas, was adopted. He spent a little bit of time in foster care. That's why he created the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, um, because it was something that was near and dear to his heart. He focused it on foster care adoption because at the time when he started this organization in 1992, it was not a robust conversation in this country. It was a really that sort of unknown system-based thing that went on, and these kids were, you know, who they were, and the system was difficult. So he really created this. Um, to to increase awareness, to provide our resources to other organizations, to efficiently and effectively move children out of foster care and into adoptive homes. Um, but he was a national icon, right? And, and for those people that are younger may not know the Dave Thomas story um, as well as those of us who are a little bit older, but was really, you know, on TV, created a, 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 an international successful um, quick serve restaurant business. Exactly. He did what so many folks do that have adoption in their background, incredibly successful. That's not to say that that's the only route that we have to uh, aspire to, but that route of 
of being secure and productive members of our community. That's that's what we want to make sure that every child has the opportunity. And we know that, um, you know, in the, in the study, 75% of Americans say we should be doing more to encourage foster care adoption. That's an uptick, again, of 11 percentage points. That's huge. And yet the preference for adopting is still at those lower ages. 60% of Americans would prefer to adopt a child five or younger. 3% would prefer to adopt a child older than 13. So we've got this dichotomy that we should be doing more to encourage foster care adoption. And yet the majority of kids in foster care are age eight or older, and we don't yet have that understanding of what it might mean for a family or a single parent to consider adopting an older child as well. Yeah, because that blows my mind when I hear people talk about older youth in foster care and knowing that they mean kids eight years old and older. I was eight. I remember being eight. I don't think I felt like an older youth at eight years old. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. And, And we know from research, the day a child turns nine in foster care and they've been freed for adoption, their likelihood of being adopted reduces significantly nine, right? That's still a child with every aspiration, every hope and dream um, that, that, that should reside in every child's soul and how quickly we, we kind of scrape that out of them by allowing them to linger in foster care until they're 18. So I, I got to ask this question. If people are interested in this, I, I assume you guys have plenty of resources to help point people in that direction. So, you know, just right here towards, you know, right now I want to throw that out because if somebody forgets that doesn't have time to get to the end of the episode, I want them to hear this. How do you step into to foster care adoption, that whole arena? And how do you help get people walk that journey? Sure. In a couple of ways. One very basic way, we've got a beginner's guide to adoption that folks can get a hard copy of or download at DaveThomasFoundation.org. Walks them through just those beginning steps. How do I even begin to think about this? Who do I contact first? What do I have to do? Everything from, you know, having a background check to a home study to the education process that I have to go through, that matching process, understanding what the system is. But we also have an evidence-based program called Wendy's Wonderful Kids in every state across the nation, where we provide the resources to organizations to hire full-time adoption professionals who work with the longest waiting children in their community to get them adopted. And so we can connect people if they're interested in their state, whether it's Missouri or Texas or, or Michigan, can get them connected to those resources directly in that state to say, I'm interested in this journey on foster care, because sometimes it just seems overwhelming. We know that people get their information from the internet. That's, that's the first source that people get information when they're trying to think about adoption and foster care adoption. That's a good place to start to begin to get information, but it can seem overwhelming with all of the sites that come back as well. So we can get folks connected directly. There's also um, a map on the, on the website where you can click on your state and see where those resources are. That's awesome. Cause a great analogy to that is what I've done recently. I, I haven't talked about it on here at all, but I've been going through some health issues myself. And when they, they did an MRI of the brain and, and I read the preliminary results and did exactly what we're not supposed to do. I went straight to Google and started Googling <laughs> stuff and got super scared because like some of the res- results I was getting were like, yeah, you might have three to four months to live. And it wasn't until I read deeper. It said, or up to three to four decades, at least, if that's what it really is. And, you know, we go to the internet to find answers and it's so overwhelming. 
Yeah. And, and I'm going to tell you when I, when I did get a hold of the, the neurologist who had the scan done and asked a couple questions about what I'd found. And she's like, Oh no, 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 that's not, that's not it at all. And just finding that person who has knowledge, who has some experience and can guide you through that is so helpful on, on the healthcare stuff for sure. But in the journey like this, you guys are providing something where people can walk through without having that overwhelming amount of information, because let's just go, go to Amazon and look for a product and then go read the reviews right? and read the, the, the most popular positive and negative review, and then try and reconcile the idea that they're both talking about the exact same thing. Exactly. It's so confusing. So you guys are providing a service to help people figure out what that is for them. Exactly. And, and look, we don't, we don't interact with every great organization in this country, but we do with a lot of them and they're organizations that we vetted, that we trust, that we've worked with for some period of time. So there's that level of, we feel good about making a referral into these organizations. Again, knowing there are lots of other good ones as well that we're just not currently connected to. So absolutely. I think it's, um, we also have an 800 line if people want to get a real live voice on the line, that's, you know, sort of nine to five Eastern time but it's 1-800-ASK-A-S-K-D-T-F-A for Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. So I think, you know, either way, peruse our website, send us an email, we'll get, you'll get a response back very quickly, or just reach out and make a call to the 800 number. We love talking with folks as well. Yeah, because the ability to talk to somebody and ask questions is one of the few ways we can really calm our fears. Every Everybody has these misconceptions you're talking about, about about adoption, kids from care, you know, again, this morning when I was talking with some of the dad guys, dad in the dad group, I'm in, yeah, and one guy, he's, he was mentioning some struggles with his kids and, and one particular kid he has, he's dealing with, with some autism difficulties, ADHD, some ODD. And, and once you start like reading what that looks like, oppositional defiance disorder, I could never do that. You know, I, why would you bring a kid into your home who has, who has these diagnoses? And it's not until you can talk to some people who, who deal with it, who can help you walk through these things and realize that this is not like a scary thing. It's just, it means that you're going to parent a little bit differently if you're smart, but it's not undoable at all. And the change you can make in that life will be ridiculously huge. And, and the, the simple fact that these children deserve that, right? They deserve a parent who's willing to step up, um, who would do it for a biological parent, they would, a child, they would do anything possible to find the right resource that you're right, could be just as complex to find. But again, somehow we sort of set these children aside as the other or different, or, you know, they're not my child, so I don't have to be responsible. We quote every day Dave Thomas's line that these children are not someone else's responsibility, they're our responsibility. And so it's that collective, our responsibility that we all have to step up and, and find a way. And not everybody's ready to foster or adopt, but but everyone can step in and, and get better educated about the system um, to share with the groups that they're in, whether it's a faith-based group or an employment group. Here are the issues. Here are the, here are the number of children in our community that are waiting to be adopted. What could we as, a, as an organization do about this? Um, they could, you know, volunteer as a mentor or, or volunteer or, or even donate to the nonprofit organizations across the nation that do make a profound difference. So I think there's lots of ways to take that collective responsibility without perhaps if they're not ready to foster or, or adopt. How about the, you know? Come, you mentioned the, uh, the the way that companies can really step in for mm. the employees and and that sort of thing. So, how how do you guys help the bigger corporations 
understand how they can help their employees get through this whole hurdle that they look at. Because if I'm going to foster a kid, if I'm going to adopt, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some some of my schedule, take some of my energy. So how do we encourage a company to, to know that this is a, a route that will have some return on investment for them? Exactly. And, and we have a program called the Adoption Friendly Workplace Program, where we encourage employers and say the following, if you have benefits in place for families that are formed through birth, then it seems only equitable that you have uh, policies and um, perhaps um, assistance in place for families that are formed through adoption. Understanding that birth is a medical issue, um, that adoption is not. And so there is that distinction. Having said that, um, we also know that when um, employees are considering two organizations, one has adoption benefits in place and one does not, they will default to the the business to consider for their place of employment that has adoption benefits in place because they believe it's a sense of equity, it determines a sense of, of loyalty. So what we do is encourage employers to provide financial assistance, paid leave over and above whatever might be required for FMLA. Um, and if, if it's the budget's too small to, to accomplish those, to at least acknowledge in the workplace that we have families in this workplace that have come together through adoption. So we could have, you know, lunch and learns. We could have an employee network for adoptive families so that they can network with each other. And we have a 100 best adoption friendly workplace list. Um, that we publish every year. So it encourages employee employers, large or small, for-profit, not-for-profit, government, non-government, to say we must have adoption benefits in the workplace. We've seen that grow significantly over the past number of years, and it's becoming routine for businesses. And in fact, it's a business will stand out if they don't have adoption benefits in the workplace. And they vary from, you know, we have one business that will provide, and they're a huge business, they'll provide unlimited financial assistance for any kind of adoption to others that cap it at, you know, we'll provide 5,000, we'll provide 2,000, whatever, whatever the, the budget can absorb, that's what we encourage, but we encourage it across the board for all kinds of adoption, but certainly with a nod to special, uh, to, to foster care adoption and a family that does adopt a child with special needs, consider additional benefits in terms of leave, in terms of flexibility, in terms of financial assistance. You know, Amanda and I have have what seven children who who have called me dad full time over the years, and you know we only have one biological child between the two of us. You know, one one that is a product of our union. And I remember when he was born. Actually, I had just started with the company. I had not been there long enough to get vacation time or anything like that. And it was a small family company. And look, I'm gonna be there, right? Like, sorry, sorry, boss. I'm on the phone. Today yeah. is the day, and I, I'm. I hope you can give me some of my vacation time a little bit early, you know, because I think at, at the first of the year it was going to roll over to where I would get vacation time and it was the end of December. And I'm like, look, I'm going to be off. I'm going to go, going to go spend this time with my family. I'm going to take some time here. And, you know, that was as a real young dad. And, and since then we've, we've had several kids come into our home through adoption and I've never had the opportunity to really mm-hmm. relook at, at that as a, as an option to be able to take that time when a kid first comes to our house well, partly because I changed companies, um, that that one went under, and I'm doing something different now. But also partly because, honestly, I never really even considered that over the last several years, and until recently, I've heard companies start to talk about that. And what a benefit that is when you have a kid come into your house where you can spend that time, you know, whether it's a brand new little bitty newborn baby, or it's or it's an 11 year old boy who who needs to like get to know you and spend some time being really 
connected and and starting to build that that paternal relationship. Exactly. And and for foster parents, understanding that, you know, there are lots of appointments that a, a parent has to has to incur in order to get this child from this place to that place. And so pushing that sense of flexibility. So we not only encourage adoption friendly workplaces, but foster care friendly workplaces as well with the same kind of flexibility, time off, um, um, whatever it is to accommodate this. Um, what we know is that we push, and we certainly send out a lot to employers. We've got toolkits on the website um, for employers, so they're easy to implement. They're cost-effective, incredibly cost-effective for businesses. But sometimes when that upswell comes from employees, uh, an employer is much more likely to consider it. So we encourage folks to, to scour through. Sometimes they don't even know that there are adoption benefits in the workplace. Find out if there are. And if there aren't, we've got a toolkit for employees and a toolkit for employers you know, you could provide this to your employer and say, hey, have you considered this? This, this is good. And that's not only good for the people that it benefits, but it's good for business. Yes, I've, I've gotten to know our HR gal a little bit. Um, she's been with us for a few years now, and I've gone in for a few questions to talk with her and come to find out she has a kid who, who has some real special needs stuff. And, and the one of the other uh, ladies who used to work in, in HR, she um, they, they had a child through adoption the same way. And so that that's a place where you can talk to these people and really begin to build some of that, that culture in your workplace. And, you know, even a smaller company like ours that I work for, I can, you, we, we can change the world by starting at home. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly it. That should be our tagline. That's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, quite frankly, this world is, it's going to hell in a handbasket. If you ask anybody on social media, it's and we can all tell you why, but the truth is, is I think we have a responsibility to the next generation to find a way, just find a way to, to make the next generation better off than we were. Exactly. And, and a constant quest to lift up children. There's nothing more important than childhood. We've all been children. We've all been there. We forget about that. We forget about those fears and concerns and challenges we had from ch as children, no matter what our circumstance was. Somehow that gets blacked out as we become, you know, sturdy, industrious adults. Well, we've got to think back to our childhood and remember what it felt like to be a child and then make sure that no child feels the kind of fear that our children in foster care experience because they don't know where they're going to be tomorrow, where they're going to go to school, where they're going to sleep, if they'll ever have mom or dad again, um, if they're going to be reabused, if they're going to even feel safe. We've got to make this a top of the table conversation, not just something that continues to slip by the sides. Absolutely. I can remember, I, I tell the story every now and then, but I remember one weekend um, after we, we had begun fostering and, and my wife and I, we, we don't have a whole lot of family connections where we can send the kids for a little while and go, go have a date night sort of thing. We, we struggle through that as a lot of parents do. And I did find somebody once it was, I think it was an anniversary maybe that I managed, I get some brownie points on this one. I managed to, to set everything up to where we had this nice hotel. We had this, I had this whole nice thing planned out and the kids were going to go stay with, was with uh, my older sister for the evening. And the, the two little kids that we had at the time, uh, there are 14 and 16 now they're much older, but, but at the time I remember that our daughter. She sat in the, in the house with my sister, and one thing my sister told me, called later to check on him before bedtime, and she says, oh, I have to tell you this. She said, I'm going to tell you this, but don't tell Amanda. You can't tell her about this tonight or tomorrow. <laughs> but she she was putting kids to bed, and, and our daughter looked at her, and she goes, well, 
are you my new mommy now? And it kind of breaks your heart, but it tells you what her story was, what she had experienced. Exactly. That we put any child through that for any length of time now. A day of their childhood in foster care is a day of childhood lost, no matter what the circumstances, no matter the right reasons for them being there. But that we exacerbate that by letting them linger in care, by not finding them appropriate placements quick enough, by not having the messaging out there that we need qualified foster parents, we need qualified adoptive parents, we need to make every effort to reconnect these children with family, if at all possible. Um, it, 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 it needs to be, again, a conversation that, that permeates when we're talking not only politics and policies, but everyday activity keeping these children top of mind and top of conversation is critically important. On here. And I thought we were supposed to get on Facebook and argue about whether or not Trump or Biden is going to save or ruin the world. <laughs> I know, I know it, you know, it gets frustrating how distracted we get from real conversations. That's why we're so grateful to you for having us on, for having the kind of conversations you have every day with others of pushing this message that, Children are in foster care through no fault of their own. Children are waiting to be adopted through no fault of their own. We can do this collectively. We've got to have the right policies, programs, and practices in place. But that's easy compared to, I think, overcoming these deeply embedded myths, misperceptions, and sensibilities about children and childhood and and, uh, foster care specifically. Yeah, yeah, because all the politics we argue about on social media – Let's be honest. It's mostly all worthless, and we have some weird thing in us that makes us want to want to sit and argue. And that's why, you, if you go to my personal Facebook page, you will find that I probably haven't posted anything there in about three months <laughs> because it's just not worthwhile to, to engage in all that craziness. But if you go to the podcast page, you'll find that we post a lot of stuff, and it's all about how we can help kids and how we can change the next generation and be certain that a hundred years from now, the world will be different because we lived. And our children will recognize that we did something for them. They won't be mistrustful of adults or skeptical of of adults not being able to accomplish anything. They'll feel a part of this wanting to be a part of a system of change. And, And that's what we're seeing now with so many youth who are in foster care, who aged out. That empowering of youth voices is critical as well. Make sure they're part of the conversation. But again, I think back that they shouldn't be the ones to solve this issue. They've got the stories to tell. They've got the experiences that bring credibility to the conversation, but we shouldn't be asking them to fix the system. It's incumbent on the adults who, who, who knew better to do better. Yes. And I think that's where we really come in because if, if you are not, if you're not wired to be a foster parent and you're not wired to be an adoptive parent, there's a good possibility. You may be somebody who could have been wired to do something entirely different in this world. Say maybe change policy. Cause I'm going to tell yeah. you, they won't let me into Washington because they're not interested in hearing what I have to say. I don't, I don't speak, um, I don't speak very politically correct. When I when I voice my opinions, I tend to have a bit more passion than most people appreciate in those moments, and, and so I'm not going to change policy. I know that that's not the place I was wired. God put me here for a reason, and I, I'm busy taking care of that. But if if that's not your place, maybe your place is to help the policies in Washington or in your state. Maybe it's to, to affect the, your county, even your city policies and change some things, your, your business, you know, talking about businesses who, who, who support foster care and or adoptive parents yes. to change the world because we all have that ability. 
Exactly. And we all exist within these spheres of groups. And, and, you know, we tend to gravitate toward groups of like-minded adults, right? Well, have that group think um, in a like-minded way about foster care and foster care adoption and how we can help and that diversity of ways that we can help. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, what you guys do is amazing. And, you know, I, I know that the Dave Thomas story is is one of those ones that, that I've always sat back and went, wow, it's just so amazing how one person, one person's experience has changed how many lives? Exactly. Exactly. We know. Look, and he didn't have an easy start at it. He was adopted, but his adoptive mother passed away when he was relatively young. His father was a move from this place to that place worker. And so he spent a lot of time with his grandmother, Minnie. What does that sound like, right? So many of our kids in foster care who were raised by um, extended family members. He left home at age 16 and struck out on his own. And yet, um, and again, this isn't a story of, well, he figured out a way to do it and pulled himself up by the bootstraps and became a, a phenomenal national icon and businessman. He did, but he shouldn't have had to, and he understood that, and that's why he created the foundation to say, no child should go through the circumstances that I did. They should have that constant support and family around them. Oh, absolutely, because there are some things that, that we just need to pay attention to in this world, and I, I feel like you know the kids who, who are left behind, through whatever reason, are left behind without any fault of their own. And for us to realize that and then say, hey, I'm going to help one kid, just one. It might be a Dave Thomas that you help that changes the world. You know, it might be a Marilyn Monroe, a a Willie Nelson. It might be these people, the number of people who have come through that system who have changed the world. It's just, I mean, Google it at some point, you know, celebrities from foster care. And I've been blown away at the number of names there of kids who who started that way and then had to find their own way through it. And I think it's Josh Shipp who talks about it a lot. Mm-hmm. He says, You're, every child is one caring adult away from being a success story. Exactly, exactly. And we can do this. We can do it. It's one of those positive messages in a sea of negativity that can elevate and rise up and there can be positive results quickly as we all march, I think, forward with the same sensibility about caring for children, cherishing childhood, understanding family and community can only thrive when children are thriving. Oh, yeah, 100%. I agree. We, we, look, at, we look at culture and we all have bad things to say about culture, but I think this is one of those, one of those uh, you know, litmus tests that we can look at and see how, how are we doing on this one? How are we doing with kids who don't have, you know, and it may be something as simple as a, a parent who, who died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you think of COVID and the impact of children, I think I saw something recently, 200,000 children lost a parent to COVID. Now, that doesn't mean they all move into the, the foster care system, but just that trauma alone, you're right, of losing a parent and then perhaps having another one that can't manage them well enough. Um, and so they're on the edge of moving into the foster care system. How, how do we respond? Um, COVID brought out a lot of awareness about the inadequacies of the foster care system or the, or the challenges. 
um, as we lost foster parents to, to economic distress or health care issues, um, as, we, as, as children became at much higher risk of contracting COVID because they were in group homes or they were moving from home to home or they're just their systems were compromised because of the trauma and stress in their lives. And so this, this one piece of the population um, was highlighted because of COVID that impacted so many people. Um, they're at such edge of chair risk, no matter what we've got it, we've got to work. We've got to do better to change that. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that we had a, we had a little girl come stay with us for a while and that was her story. She was in a, in a happy, healthy foster home. Yeah. I understand. And, and the reason she had to leave us because, you know, she was one parent worked and um, the other one was a medically fragile parent and she had to go to daycare and they said, Hey, like we're terrified of COVID right here. You know, the, right. the other parent had some real health issues. And, and so that changed it again. She came to care for through no fault of her own exactly. and ended up having to change the happy, healthy place. She was through no fault of her own again. Exactly. Exactly. So we've got a lot to do, but I'm, I'm ever hopeful in this position that there are people who care. They just don't know this is perhaps one area that they need to, to pay attention to. So I'm, I'm hopeful, but we've got a lot of work to do. Yes. And that's one of the things that's always difficult for us to, to remember that, that there's hope. There's hope. We, we like to sit around and, and trade memes about how the world's, you know, going to hell in a handbasket and how the whole world is so bad off and yada, yada, yada. We, we have all these, these things we like to talk about and we forget sometimes to just remind each other that, that there's hope and you can be a part of someone else's hope. Exactly. Exactly. And it's easy. You know, on the face of it, it, it appears difficult because it's, look, it, make no mistake, it's a government system you have to jump into in order to help these children. But you have to jump into government systems for a lot of reasons, to, to register your car, to get married, to, to, to pay your taxes. We're confronted by government systems every day that we, we take for granted. All right, I've just got to do this. I think this is one that we should think of the same way. Are there steps and challenges and, and frustrations? Absolutely. But at the end of it, in the middle of it, at the beginning of it, is a child. And so for no other reason, that's why we should think about jumping into that government system. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you if you can deal with the IRS, you can deal with the uh, foster system. <laughs> I don't want to get them too mad at me. But, yeah, that's one of those ones that we, we're terrified of the government systems. You know, what what's it going to take? But but what's what's it worth? Right. I, I deal with I deal with the IRS because if I don't, well, they're going to come deal with me and I have to deal. I have to put up with that. But I deal with the foster system because the difference that you can make changes not just one life. It changes an entire generation of lives. Exactly. Exactly. So absolutely. There's lots of ways to step in. Um, uh, you know, our encouragement is if you're even thinking about it and we see from this survey that lots of folks are thinking about it, then we can encourage you. We can help you to take that next step, get more information, get you connected to an agency, get you connected to others who have gone through the process. Sometimes that's the best support group. Like you've said, you know, others who are in this process or have been through the process, because that's where you're going to get the real picture of what will it take and what kind of support group will I have around me in order to do this? Absolutely. Well, Frida, I want to thank you for coming in here on behalf of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption organization to talk to people and let them know what the resources are out there and to help encourage people. Because this survey has shown that, I mean, 30 37%, you said, right? Yep, have considered adoption. And of those, 82% are considering foster care adoption. That's a huge number of people. 
So I'm, I don't have all the, all the numbers in front of me, but you take the American population, we should be able to empty the system out of kids who need a place to stay pretty quick if, if we just take some, some action. And, and I hope that, you know, this conversation with you can encourage some people to take that next step. We're so grateful, Jason and Amanda, for you inviting us to the table to have this conversation and so grateful for what you're doing personally. Thank you for that. Well, I appreciate that. I do. Okay, Foster Care Nation, thank you for listening to Read a Story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. And don't forget, we have an account over at Buy Me a Coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little or as much as you want. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash fostercare. The links to everything is in the show notes in your podcast player below or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios.